one thing I can say this morning, and that is happy May, right? Happy May. Does it seem like May should already be here? I don't know. It seems, seems like it's uh, gotten here awful fast. Now, if you're involved in the school system, uh, you, you're saying it's about time May got here, right? It's about time May got here. In fact, if you're involved with the school system at all, you know one thing is common this time of year, and that is either end-of-grade testing or final exams, things like that. So if you're a student or a teacher or a parent, that's kind of what occupies you starting at this point going forward. And, and it's really imp- an important time of the year because this examination, this test that comes up either in a course or as a field of study uh, is very important to determine whether or not you are successful as a student. And the testing measures how well the student measures up to the criteria set for the class. And so many of you have been studying all semester to get to this place, all year to get to this place, and you're ready to get the exams behind you, aren't you? I know I I was uh, ready for those things to be completely gone. So at this time of year, we especially need to be praying for our students, for our teachers, and for our parents. So, uh, So keep that in mind over the course of the next few weeks. But, but this morning, we're talking not about school and not about final exams, but today I want to start talking with you about criteria for the church, criteria for the church. And uh, for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some different examinations that were given to churches in the Bible. Specifically, there are seven churches that went through an examination by Christ, and, and we found these in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. We're not going to go there this morning, but I want to introduce that to you this morning that we're going to be looking at individual churches and seeing how they measured up to the criteria that the Lord has given us as a church. And this morning, I also want us to start looking at what that criteria is uh, so that we can be getting ready to see how we measure up to what God wants us to do. Now, I know what you're thinking, some of you anyway, why are we doing this, Pastor? I want, I want church to be simply this. Church needs to be a place where I can go, where I can kind of check out of my job and my life a little bit, and I can, be, uh, I, I can hear some meaningful music, I can hear a devotion from the Scriptures, and I can just go back about home. Church is kind of that stopping off place to give me some encouragement. Why are we bringing up all this examination back and forth? And I would say to you, that's a very good question, a very good question. So to answer that question, let, let, me, let me do that by kind of springboarding back to, to where we were a couple of weeks ago when we were looking at a series of messages I called Discovering Jesus. And the last one of these messages on April 22nd was Discovering the Church of Jesus. And we looked on that day at four important things about the church. We looked at how Jesus is the builder of the church, how Jesus is the head of the church, how the church is the body of Christ, and how the church is the bride of Christ. All four of those things, and they're all very, very important. When we think about the fact that Jesus is the builder of the church, we understand that it belongs to him and he owns it. That puts things in perspective for us. When we think about the fact that Jesus is the head of the church and not a person, a position, or a program, or a committee, or a group of people, but Jesus is the head of the church. And then we think about us as the body of believers, a group of individual members who come together to be a healthy church, carrying out what God has put us here for, and then is the bride of Christ, knowing that we are being prepared to be presented uh, to, to our Lord in that day up in heaven someday. And so we are in a process of being prepared for that great event. And in thinking about that, we have to ask the question, are these things true? If they're not true, we're just wasting time and treading water. But if they are true, and I say that they are, 
if these things about the church are true, then I would, I would share with you this morning that the church is the most important entity in the world, in the history of the world. Because it is in the church that we have the life-changing message of the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is in the church that we have the responsibility to take that message to, to everybody, whether it's around the corner, around the block, or around the globe. We have that responsibility and that opportunity, and it is a life-changing message. Certainly in eternity, we're all looking forward to going to heaven, but also right here and now. The, the, the difference of the impact of the message of Jesus Christ on our lives right now is an amazing, amazing thing. So we understand the church is vitally important. And so that makes us, uh, it should make us want to make sure that we're on the right track, measuring up to the criteria we've been given by the Lord and doing the things that God would have us to do. So, so, so I want to point out to you exactly how important this is. For example, since it's so important, there are five men that you've called to be the leaders of our church staff. Myself, and let me share the others with you, and if they're in here, I'm going to ask them to stand up. But myself, Al Huffman, who's been with us 30 years, Al's our worship pastor. He leads our, other, uh, our first worship service. And then Shay Reiner, who's our discipleship pastor. Shay right now is meeting with a group of, uh, uh, in our new, uh, not new members, but our Membership Matters class. And I just stuck my head in the door to say hello. There's about 12 people sitting around a table learning more about what it means to be a member of Bridgecrest Baptist Church. So he's doing that right now. And Joe Yandel, our children's ministry director. I don't think Joe's in here. Joe's with the kids, I think, upstairs. If you hear a little thumping noise in the back part of the gym during the service, that's Joe leading children's worship up in the loft uh, just above our fellowship hall. And then I know Austin's here. Austin, you've got to help me out. Austin, stand up. Austin's our uh, student ministry director. And I keep standing, by the way. So, so, so here you've got five men that you've called to, to be your full-time church staff. And, and let me tell you just a little bit about who we are. Not, not in any way to brag, but to, but to let you know how important the church is to us. Each one of us ha- have had our relationship with Christ. And we've each felt called of God that, that said to us, I want you to plant your life in the ministry and the fulfillment of the gospel through the local church. And so we have felt that call from God. And it's a call that has led us to, 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 to our education. It's led us to gain experience. It's led us to invest our lives in churches. It, it, it's led us to invest our families and to take not just, not just a job at Ridgecrest Baptist Church, but an opportunity at Ridgecrest Baptist Church to live out what God has called us to do and to do it where God has called us to do it. I know for all of us, in some form or fashion, we have relocated as God has called us and opened the doors. I'm excited that I get to come back home to my home area, but for 17 years, God took me to the western part of the state. Austin's from the western part of the state, and God has brought him here. Al is from, from Hickory, North Carolina, and Joe's from right here as well, but, but, and Shay is from uh, uh, that, that uh, place in Aiken, South Carolina. And so, so all of us have been on this journey, and we feel that God has brought us right here and it, it, the church is so important to us that we have failed to go into any other area of business, any other career. And we have felt the call from God to say, invest your life in the church. And I want to tell you, just Austin and I are in here right now. Austin, you back me up. All five of us, we're passionate about the church and about what God has called us to do. So you stay standing. <laughs> in addition to, to the five full-time staff members, you have also called out three part-time staff members. 
And uh, they each have a position of leadership in our church. These are, are people that have done perhaps other things for their career, but they have felt the call of God to the extent that they are willing to invest 20 or more hours a week, or more usually, in carrying out their assigned ministry area So because they're passionate about the church. Rodney Hicks was just here. You saw him a minute ago. Uh, he works with our senior adult ministry. And, uh, uh, and so I think Austin, you and I, and Joe are the only ones on staff who are not senior adults. The rest of the guys are. So I want to make that crystal clear uh, at this point because we try to make those guys feel as old as we possibly can. Anyway, so, 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 so the three staff members that, that you have called to help us part-time, Rodney Hicks and then uh, Hubert Dean. Hubert, stand up as well. And, uh, and Hubert leads our, our Exalt Worship Band. He does a great job with that. Big job. Round of applause. So thank you, Hubert, for that. You stay standing. And then if you have any children back in the preschool area, Lisa Ashworth is our preschool ministries director and is doing an awesome job back there directing, organizing, and leading our preschoolers. And let me tell you, the eight of us have a passion for the church. It's not just a job. If it were a job, it wouldn't be worth it. But there's a passion for the church that keeps us seeking and longing and going after the fulfillment of the gospel right here. But not just eight of us. If it was just the eight of us, we could never impact the number of people that are a part of Ridgecrest Baptist Church between the worship services and the connect groups and all the things that we do. The eight of us can't do it. It takes volunteers who give of their time. And you might have a job over here. You might not work over there. Whatever it is you do, you make time and you prioritize time to equip yourself to be a leader in our WANA program, our youth program, our senior adult program, our discipleship program, whatever it is, and to serve as a deacon or as an usher, as a greeter, whatever it is in that realm. You give yourselves. Why? Because you are passionate about the church. And I want to ask this morning, if you are a part of, of, of any of our programs, any of our ministry teams, any of the things that, that, that make Ridgecrest function, would you join with us and would you stand? All right? So you see all these folks standing. Thank you for what you do at Ridgecrest Baptist Church. And I want to say this on behalf of everybody standing, all the volunteers, that just as with those of us who are full-time in ministry and part-time in ministry, those who are standing as volunteers in ministry oftentimes demonstrate their passion for the church over and above family time, over and above their jobs, over and above so many other things, and they sacrifice to give of themselves to lead other people. Why? Because they're passionate about the church. And now everybody's standing, if you would. Let's all stand together. And let me say this about all of us now who are standing. You, are, you count the church a priority, at least for today because you're here, right? You count the church enough of a priority that you have neglected many other things in order to be here in this place this morning. And, and there are at least five other things you could be doing right now. Don't think too hard about them because you might run out the door and go do one of those. But, but, but there are, are other things you could be doing. But you have said... Or somebody in your family has said, it's important for us to be in church today and to go to Ridgecrest today to be, to be in church and to worship God. And so you have, have made a point to be here to participate. You're a volunteer leader. You're a staff member. And, and as Brad was said so eloquently as we received our offering this morning, all of us that are here, we, we through our, our passion for the church, we give the tithe and we give the offering, partly out of obedience. We want to be obedient to give, but also out of love and out of, of passion for the church to be the church that God has called it to be. And, and I want to tell you this. Hubert, I'm going to tell you, just me and you talking here. People don't turn loose of their money for no reason. You know that, right? 
I know that. We know that, right? So when people give financially, they're giving because it means something to them. And so whether you're on staff or volunteering or participating and giving and praying, we are those that make up the church. Why? And I'll keep going back to this. Because we have a passion to be the church that God has called us to be. Now, while you remain standing, I want to ask you to take your Bible and turn with me to Colossians in the New Testament. Colossians chapter 1. That's what we're going to look at this morning. And Colossians chapter 1 is one of my favorite church Bible passages in all the Bible. I've preached this passage on several different occasions. I've got about seven or eight different sermon outlines on this. I think this is number four I've preached here at Ridgecrest on this passage. But, but, but I love this passage of Scripture. And this passage this morning is going to set the foundation for us to move forward next week as we start examining different churches in Revelation and comparing them to the criteria of church that we see laid out for us here in Colossians chapter 1, verses 27 through 29. Here's what it says. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is... Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now you see there at the bottom, Christ in you, the hope of glory. If anybody ever asks you, what is Ridgecrest Baptist Church about? If anybody ever says to you, what is the church about? You can point them to this verse, Colossians 1.27, and you can say, as I say, that this verse, this one phrase, is the church. Anything outside of this one phrase is not the church. And the phrase is, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Would you say that phrase with me? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's say it one more time. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 28. Him, this is Jesus, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. Now, this next several weeks, we're looking at the church. If you're available, and I hope you even, you'd have to make yourself available because we're all busy. On Wednesday nights at 7 in room 509, we're going to do some follow-up to the Sunday morning messages. I'd love it if you'd come and hang out with us and give your two cents and listen and pray with us. It's going to be a great time as we gather together. Our Heavenly Father, on this day, we thank you for the privilege of gathering as Ridgecrest Baptist Church. And I want to pray that you help us to better understand what the church is, to fall in love with your church, and to passionately give ourselves for the success of your church, knowing that it is indeed the most important entity in the world because it is through the church that you have determined to reach men and women and boys and girls with the wonderful good news of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And so today, may we learn, may we get passionate May we be energized by your spirit that lives within us as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So I've titled this message, if you notice, Church 101, The Basics. The very basics of what church is and what church is all about. I can remember wondering what the church was all about. I can remember serving on a church staff and wondering what the church is all about. I can remember talking to different people over time about church and why it's so important and people asking me the question, basically, why is it so important that I be a part of a church? 
And in a nutshell, there are three criteria for a church, three reasons, if you will, uh, that describe why it's so important to be a part of a church and what's so important about the church and what sets it apart from every other entity known to mankind. So first of all, I want you to look with me at this, and that is that the church is gospel-centered. The church is gospel-centered. The church rests on that phrase, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And what that refers to is the message of Christ called the gospel. The gospel refers to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And, and that, that great truth, that good news, is what the foundation of the church is. So that everything we do is built on that statement. That Christ in you is the hope of glory. Don't you notice verse 28 says, Him we proclaim. That one statement says a lot. Him, of course, is Jesus. We proclaim. It is, it is Jesus that I stand before you week in and week out, and it is Jesus that I preach to you about. It, it is Jesus that is at the core of all the programs that we have here at Ridgecrest Baptist Church. It is Jesus at the core of our Awana program. Jesus at the core of our student ministry program, our preschool program, our deacons ministry. It is Jesus at the program of our Awana ministry and our senior adult ministry and all that we do. It is Jesus at the core of our Sunday school connect groups that, that, that we encourage everybody to be a part of. And why is that so important? It's because Jesus is what the church is founded on and what he is all about. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about structures and it's not about programs but all of those things exist in a church to point people to jesus now what's so great about jesus i've had people ask me that question i've wondered that question before what's so great about jesus and what is it that gives jesus the authority or the right to determine whether a church is meeting criteria or not what is it that gives jesus the authority to to determine whether a church is successful or not why not let the pastor do that well, I promise you, don't let the pastor determine if the church is successful or not, because pastors will lie. Amen? Don't ask the deacons if the church is being successful or not. Don't ask the connect group leaders if the church is being successful or not. Don't ask the average person sitting out in the congregation if the church is successful or not. You'll get a hundred different answers. Some will say about the same church, it is wildly successful. Others will say it's miserably failing. Well, how are we to determine and who is it to determine the success and criteria of the church? Well, of course, it's Jesus. And as we look at the churches in Revelation 2 and in Revelation 3 over the next few weeks... It is Jesus that goes to each of those churches and points out the things that are positive as well as the things they need to work on. And so what is it that gives Jesus the right to do that? Well, Revelation 1 is one of many places in the Bible that tells us about the qualifications of Jesus that determine him to be in charge of the church, but also to be our Savior and worthy of all of our life. For example, Revelation 1 verses 5 through 8. We see that Jesus is the faithful witness. He's come to earth to tell us the things of God. We see that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. That he was raised to life and ascended to heaven to be with the Lord forever. We see that Jesus is the ruler of kings on earth. There's no king or kingdom or president or prime minister to which Jesus does not have authority over and nobody uh, has authority over him. 
We see in that passage of Scripture, verse 5 of, Roman, of Revelation 1, that Jesus loves us. Isn't that great to know? That of all the things in the Bible about who God is, of all the things about who Christ is, we know that, that, that He loves us and has chosen us. We see that He has made us free from our sins by His blood. It is by the, the shed blood of Christ that we become His followers. It is by His blood that was shed for us that our sins are forgiven. And it is only through that that we come to know Him as our Savior and, and get to go to His kingdom forever and ever. In fact, verse 6 says, He has made us a kingdom. We now belong to Him and He is the King. He has made us priests to His God and Father. We represent Him to others. He, is, uh, he has glory and dominion forever. And ever. It belongs to him and not to us. And then we find in verse 7, he's coming with the clouds. One day, Jesus is going to come back. I remember, uh, I've shared before, in 1988, a book came out, 100, uh, 100 Reasons Why Jesus Will Come Back in 1988. Well, he didn't. But he is. One day. One day. We find in verse 8 that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. That he is, he is the one who is and who was and who is to come. And, uh, and nobody else meets that criteria. And we see also in verse 8 that he is the Almighty. That's who Jesus is. And because of who he is, he is qualified to, uh, to judge the churches. And we see in, in Colossians 1.28, it is this Jesus that we proclaim. It is this Jesus that we sing about. It is this Jesus that we study. It is this Jesus that we seek to make known all around the world. Now, the message of the gospel, I want you to to look with me at verse 27 there of Colossians chapter 1. And there in verse 27, we learn some very important things about this message, the message of the gospel. We learn, for example, that the message comes from God. Notice it says there, God chose to make known. And this is vitally important. Because the message of the gospel, the message that the church shares with people is not a message that we got together and voted on and decided. It's not a message that we took names and said, okay, you think it ought to be this, you think it ought to be that, now let's vote on what the message ought to be. No, God chose to reveal to us the message of the gospel. So our faith, our belief does not rest upon what we think about God, but on on the fact that God has chosen to reveal himself to us. That's what the message is about. We also see about the message that the message is for everyone. It says there, among the Gentiles. Among the Gentiles. Now, that might not mean anything to you, but in the Bible, in the days of the New Testament, and among the Jews, there were only two types of people in the world. You've heard those things before, right? There's only two types of people in the world. Those who put their toilet paper over the bottom side and those who do it right over the top side, right? Only two groups of people. Well, in the, in the New Testament, there's only two groups of people. There are Jews, God's chosen people, and there are Gentiles, everybody else. And so here in, in saying that the message is among the Gentiles is saying that the message of the gospel is for every possible person. And then we see also that this message is exclusive. Just as it, it's inclusive in that it's for everybody, it's exclusive in that there's only one way that we're made right with God. Notice it says there in verse 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And to say true to the, to the Greek language there, it could very easily say in English, Christ in you, the only hope of glory. We have no other hope except for Jesus. We can't earn our way into heaven. We can't 
be good enough to go to heaven? We can't join five different religions and hope one of us will take them to heaven? The only way that we can be made right with God is through faith in Jesus Christ. He is the only exclusive way that we might have the glory of heaven. And then notice also this message is valuable. There's a great treasure in this message. Verse 27 says, The riches of the glory, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The, the word glory is mentioned there, and certainly that's a very valuable word. It, it, it speaks of the radiating power, the radiating presence of Christ. But also notice the word riches. The riches of the glory. The value of the glory. And I don't know about you, but, but you've seen those, those, uh, those, those TV shows where they go, go searching for lost treasure. I've seen them where they're looking for lost treasure at the bottom of the ocean where the Titanic is and other ships that have sunk. I've seen them go on treasure hunts in the pyramids of Egypt, treasure hunts in the jungles of, of Central America and other places, uh, all looking for lost treasure. I, I remember the movie, like you probably have seen, National Treasure, where, where the story goes that all the treasure of the ancient world was, was brought together and brought to the new world. I don't know... The truth of that movie, of course, is it's, it's made up. But there's also the, 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 the riches that people have been searching for. Take all of them and lump them together. And it doesn't compare to the value of the riches that we have in our relationship with Christ. And I want you to notice again the last thing here in verse 27. That this message is mysterious. It's called a mystery. The glory of this mystery and the reason it's called a mystery is this, is that, is that beginning in Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, and going all the way through to the end, the story of the gospel is there. And God unfolds it for us piece at a time. He lets us know that, that we have sinned, so we're going to be punished, but that he's going to send a Savior. And the Savior is pictured in the Lamb of the Old Testament sacrifices. It's pictured in the man who was, who was beaten and, and wounded on our behalf in the book of Isaiah. And then it's pictured ultimately in Jesus. And so the mystery, the Bible says, that was hidden down through the ages now has been made clear so that all of us might know that message and that we might believe it. And so it is, when we say it is him that we preach, the, God, the, the church is gospel-centered in that everything we do relates to this wonderful message of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Don't you notice a second thing, and that is that the church is discipleship-driven. Discipleship-driven. The purpose of what we do at Ridgecrest. I know some of you wonder, what, what are we trying to do? The purpose of what we're doing is to help each man, woman, boy, and girl, each one of you that are here, our purpose is to help you, encourage you, assist you, walk beside you, and to do that among ourselves with each other so that we might be the people that God has called us to be. And I don't know about your story, but, but my story is this, that God brought me from, from where I was and he's taken me to where I'll be and I'm not the same person I used to be. You've heard the phrase, I'm not who I used to be, I'm not what I ought to be, but thank the Lord I'm getting closer every day to what he's called me to be. And so that's the process that we're all undergoing. Notice it says there in verse 28, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. 
So part of the ministry of the church, and it's not glitzy, it's not glamorous, it's not flashy, it's week in and week out, it's day in and day out, it's circumstance in and circumstance out, it's roll up your sleeves and get involved in the lives of others, and it's walking alongside of others, so that at some point there's this picture that that we as the church will stand before God and we will be presenting others as mature believers to Christ. In a sense, this, this goes along with the picture of the church as the bride of Christ. And that there's going to be a great wedding feast one day in heaven. And that we'll be presented as part of the bride of Christ to him. As I was doing my, my Bible challenge reading, I hope you're keeping up with that. We list them in your bulletin every week. But as I was doing my Bible challenge reading out of 2 Corinthians 11, I came across this verse this past week. And it says this. For I feel a divine jealousy for you. Since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Let me point out a couple of important things about this verse. It was written by Paul, the great missionary pastor to the church at Corinth. And he's saying to this church, I am jealous for you. Not jealous of you, that's wrong, but jealous for you. And that's a good thing. A father should be jealous for his children. What that means is he loves them and he's going to protect them and he's going to seek to guide them so that they can be safe and secure and be the people that God has called them to be. Fathers should be jealous for their children. Mothers should be jealous for their children for the same reason. Husbands should be jealous, not of their wives, but for their wives. Because God has called us to love our wives and protect our wives and protect our family. And to be who God's called us to be by by making them as pure and holy and safe as we possibly can. As heads of our home and leaders in our family. That's what God has called us to do. In the same way, Paul is using the imagery of, of of a wedding. And he's saying that God has given me the responsibility of presenting you to him as the church, as a bride. And notice what kind of bride. Uh, A bride who is a pure as a virgin to Christ. A bride who is going to her husband as as pure and spotless. And you think about your life as I think about mine and realize when the Lord found me, I wasn't pure and spotless. That's why I needed a Savior. But over time, as the Spirit works in our heart as we go through the, the disciplines of prayer and Bible study and, 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 and worship and we get involved in, in, in meaningful relationships in the church and we serve God and these other things start to fall away. We become that pure, spotless bride of Christ that He wants to present, that He is called, that we are called to present to Him on that day in heaven. And notice it also is betrothed to one husband. That's Christ. We are called to be spotless and pure before Him. And so while we're on earth as the church, whether we're full-time ministry staff or part-time ministry staff or program ministry leaders or just members of our church participating, we're, we're working to help other people, each other and those outside the walls of our church and the membership of knowing Christ as Savior. We're called to bring people to the place where one day they'll be presented spotless and pure before our Savior. So that's the goal of the church. In Matthew 28, verse 19, uh, it says that we're to make disciples of all nations, all neighborhoods, all school districts, all people groups, all income levels, all education levels, so that people might truly come to be a part of the church. Now, now this answers the question of why we provide the things at Ridgecrest that we provide. For example, we encourage people to be a part of a connect group. In the Connect group, we encourage you to connect to God, 
to other people, to be more than a face in the crowd, and to connect our community. And to help take the message outside the, 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 this, the walls of our church to, to impact others with this wonderful message of the gospel. That's our Sunday School Connect group. It answers the question of why we have uh, our WANA program and our youth program, why we have our senior adults, why we're having our senior adult fellowship and encouragement meal this afternoon, why we well, have the garden out here beside the prayer chapel, why we do all the things that we do. It's because, uh, because we are called to be discipleship-driven. And lastly, let me, let me point out to you that the church is spirit-powered. This is the part that really encourages me. The church is spirit-powered. The pastor can't do it. The members can't do it. But Christ in us, our hope of glory, He can do it. Notice in verse 29, it says this, All His energy powerfully works within me. I want you to see those words on the screen. and I want you to say those words with me. Would you say those with me? All His energy powerfully works within me. I want to point out a couple of things about this verse. It's so awesome. Number one, I want you to notice how personal it is. His energy works within me. Certainly, if you're a believer, His energy works within you. And if we're the body of Christ, His energy works within us, but His energy is powerfully at work within me, personally. And, and when I think, I can't do that, I can't stand up in front of people and preach. I can't stand up in front of a group and teach. I can't stand up on the, the risers and sing. I can't play a musical instrument for the glory of God. I can't be an usher. I can't change diapers in the nurse. I can't do all these things. But, and, and the point is that on our own, maybe we can't. But with His power working in us, we can. And so often in talking to people, there, there's a sense of, you know, I'm not equipped, I'm not able, I don't have time. All, all these different things. When the reality is that God's plan and God's purpose is that we be so thoroughly equipped by His Word and His Spirit and His presence and power in our lives that we can accomplish anything that He has called us to accomplish and to represent Him anywhere that He chooses to take us. I want you to notice also that it is His energy that is at work within us. It, it's not my energy. It's not our collective energy. It's His energy that is at work within us. And I want you to notice how it's at work. It's at work powerfully. Powerfully. There, there's power in the work in the presence of Christ. I want you to notice this word power comes from the same Greek word to which we get the same English word as dynamite. There is an explosive spiritual power that's at work in my life and at work in your life if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And you may say, well, Pastor Mark, I don't experience that power. I don't know what that power is like. I've never had a sense of that power within me. I don't walk around zapping people like the Midas guy on the TV commercial. I don't see that coming to pass in my life. And, and, and the point is, is that as we allow God to work in our lives, and we open ourselves up to his powerful presence within us. It's amazing the places he'll take us, the encounters we can have, and the impact we can have for the gospel because of all that he does for us. I want you to listen to a couple of Bible verses that relate to the fact that he is with us to give us power. Matthew twenty-eight twenty, Jesus says, I am with you always. Acts 1 and verse 8 says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Romans 8 verse 11 says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then He who raised Christ Jesus 
from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And notice what it says here. The same power that raised up Jesus from the dead, that power, that resurrection power, that dynamite spiritual power, that power is at work in your life and in my life because we know Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And that would lead us to Philippians 4.13, which tells us, I can do all things through him who does what? Who strengthens me. I can do all things through the one who gives me the strength to do the things that he has equipped and called me to do. So let me ask the question, how do we, how do we measure up at Ridgecrest Baptist Church? How do you and I measure up individually to doing our part for the church? And are we doing the things that he has called us to do? And when we think about the fact that one day we're going to stand before God to give an account of our church and of our role in the church, how do you think we'll measure up based on the criteria that we see in the Scripture? Well, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at these seven churches in Revelation and see how they measured up, what they were doing that was really positive and and the Lord commended them for it, and what they were doing that the Lord criticized them for. And we can learn some great things that we can apply to our congregation, our body of believers, Ridgecrest Baptist Church. I want you to notice on your listening guide, at the very bottom, I put the words of a very simple prayer. And it goes like this. Lord, show us who you are and who we are to be as the church and empower us to be your church. Would you say those words out loud with me right now? Lord, show us who you are and who we are to be as the church and empower us to be your church. As our guys come up for the last song, I want to ask you right where you are, would you just bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment? And I want to challenge you to take that very simple prayer listed in your bulletin. And as you read your Bible challenge this week or have your devotional time, would you make that prayer a part of your prayer life? a part of your prayer time each day, would you make that prayer a priority? Lord, show us who you are and who we are to be as the church and empower us to be your church. Let's stand together. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege of sharing today about the church from your word. And I want to pray and ask our Heavenly Father, you'd be with Ridgecrest Baptist Church that we might do everything we know to do, trusting you to empower us to become the church that you've called us to be. I thank you, Lord, for the attention that people have given, and I pray that it would not just simply be a, a message that we endure and then go out about our business, but that, Lord, as with every other message that we might listen to from your word, that we would recognize, Lord, that we're a part of the bride of Christ, that we're a part of the body of Christ, that you are our head and you are our builder. Therefore, help us to prioritize your church and all that we do, that it might be for your glory, our blessing and benefit, and that the gospel might extend to the ends of the earth as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.